0: is the finale, uh, and I'm not grateful it's the finale, because this has been a wonderful series, but uh, we've entitled this series Battle Ready, and it's closing today, and uh, how many of you, just put your hands together, how many of you have enjoyed this series, come on, it's been really, really good, uh, by show of hands, how many of you feel you're ready for battle, like you could leave today, you could, you'll leave today taking on Hell with a Squirt Gun, like, let's go, like, like you are battle Ready. And so if you have your Bibles, come on, let's go. That's what I'm talking about. Except for I'm afraid of you, Donna, so no fighting you today. All right, so let's, let's, be, let's be careful. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we have been in Ephesians chapter 6 for the past seven weeks. So turn there again. We're going to finish today. Uh, we're going to read the whole thing in context, but we're landing on verse 17 today. Uh, so if you have it digitally, Ephesians chapter 6, you got the paper version, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, in verse 10, it says, Finally... Right, so this is a letter written to the church at Ephesus. There's some closing remarks. And it's finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Remember, this is not about our strength. This is about his strength. And verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So there is an enemy that is scheming on the prowl, and now we're getting some resources and some tools of how are we going to take that stand. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, remember that's the key word, therefore, as in this is happening, so this is what we need to do. Therefore, put on the full, not not pieces, but the full armor of God, And then verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we're going to be talking about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I know a couple weeks ago, uh, there was a picture of a Roman soldier with my face on it. And uh, just want you to know, they found the correct Roman soldier that I probably look most like uh, because he looks like this. I mean, you, you can tell, you know what I'm saying? You can see the arms, right? Uh, so if I was a Roman soldier, I'd have a smirk on my face that looked a little bit like this. And uh, so this is what we've been talking about, right? We've been talking about the belt of truth. We've been talking about the, the breastplate of righteousness and, and the helmet of salvation. And now you see uh, in his hand the sword, because the sword is the soldier's offensive weapon. We see from our text, the scripture, and we talked about this. It says to put on. Right? So we put on the first three pieces of this armor, the belt of truth. It's the location, right? It's this truth, but it's also the location that holds those tools. It helps hold up that 70-pound breastplate of righteousness. And that, that breastplate of righteousness is protecting our heart, most vital organ. And then we see that the shoes bring about peace. So when it says put on, that means we always have them on. And then it changes and it says take up. And so you take up when needed the shield of faith that deflects the enemy's attacks. And then you put on the the helmet of salvation and it protects your head. And last week we talked about how it provides identity and security for us as a believer. So today is the day where we're going on the offense. Right? Today is the day for us where we go, man, it's, I'm tired of sitting back, and the, I have all of this defensive posture and all of this armor, but today we're going to learn what does it look like to be on the offense? Right? What does it look like to, uh, for me, like when the coin toss happens? For me, I don't want to defer. I want the ball. I want to take the ball down the field. I want to score a touchdown, and I want to say, take that, right? because I don't, I don't want to just defer and wait till the second half. No, I want to start the game strong. I want to start the game on the offense, and so today that's what we're talking about. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were in Columbus and our students did an amazing job at National Fine Arts and with t-shirt design and spoken word and, and short sermons. And man, it was so great. And one of those participants was my daughter. And she talked about the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood reminds me of being on offense, right? The, the scripture tells us that for years, she had gone to multiple doctors with no benefit. There was no gain. Nothing happened. And so she struggles with, with this disease within her, and, and now she's like, no, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. I'm tired of just sitting back and waiting. Jesus, the healer, is coming to my town, and if he's coming to my town, I want to see him. Because if I could just touch the, the hem of his garment, I know that I could be healed. But the scripture also tells us that the crowds were almost crushing Jesus. Jesus. So we know there's tons of people and the masses have gathered, yet there is a tenacity, there is a grit, there is a perseverance within this woman that said, I will not take no for an answer, right? If I have to crawl, if whatever it's going to take to get through this crowd, I want to touch his garment because I'm sick and tired of being on the defense waiting for things to happen. No, I'm going to go on the offense and I'm going to move in the direction of Jesus, And I feel like today, that's the day for some of you. Today's that day where you go, no, 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 I'm tired of just waiting. I'm tired of sitting back. I'm gonna move on the offense. I'm gonna move to wherever Jesus is, that's where I wanna be. And so that's what we're gonna talk about. What does it mean to be on the offense for the kingdom of God? Here's what I know. If you want to experience victory, you have to push through adversity, right? If you wanna experience victory, you have to be willing to push through the adversity. So when we talk about a a Roman soldier and his sword, it would have been called a a gladius. And this is what a gladius sword would have looked like. It wasn't like this three foot long or four foot long sword. Uh, The word sword there actually in the text is translated dagger. And so it's a a short sword. It's like playing Clue, right? You get that little dagger. And and, 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 and it's there because each dagger was custom fit for each soldier. It wasn't big, it wasn't bulky. It was meant for close battle. Think of the movie Gladiator. Gladiator. Maximus, right? You're like, what's he going to do with that little sword? He was used to -to hand-to-hand combat. He was used to having people close to him. And so that's what this dagger represented for close battle. Here's the deal. The enemy doesn't always fight far off. He gets that close to where you're like, oh, he's that close. He's that in my face that I need the sword of the spirit to be able to fight back. And some of you are like, let's go. I'm ready to throw hands. Like "I'll, I'll fight. You know what I mean? And you're like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there, and we're going to fight, and we're going to do this. That's not the physical battle that he's talking about. Right? When we look at these, this armor, it's for a spiritual battle. It's not for throwing hands. Right? It's for having victory against the enemy. And so how do we fight as followers of Christ? Well, we have to look at the, 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 the Greek word for word. What does that mean? Right? So the, the, spirit, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God— that Greek word is broken down in three different translations. The first is this, it's graphe. Graphe means the writings, it's the book, right? If you have your Bible with you this morning, this is the graphe, it it is the writings, it is the book. But this is not the word that's used in Ephesians, right? When it breaks down word, it is not saying the graphe, right? You're You're not gonna have, you're not gonna pierce anybody with this. Some of you are like, no, I try on social media all the time. Don't do that, bad idea, right? But you're not gonna grab it and be like, look, does that hurt? No. And so that's not the word that he's using. There's a, the other translation for word is logos. Logos means the message of the Bible. So in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was logos. Understands, there are 66 books in here, right? 40 different authors, over 1,500 year period to, to collect and to write these writings on three continents in three different languages. But all of it points to the message. The message is Jesus right? This whole book points to the savior of the world who is Jesus. So we have, we have the book itself, the writings, we have the logos, which is the message, which is Jesus. And then you sit in church, you unpack the message, you understand it. That means you've grabbed the logos, but that wasn't the word used in Ephesians either. The word that's used here in Ephesians is rhema. Rhema means utterance. It means the spoken word. Sometimes I feel like we're stuck right here in Grafe. It's like, man, I have this Bible, I have this word, and we're wondering why we're not experiencing victory because all it is, is is we're just looking at it as a book. We're looking at it as a, as a decoration in our coffee table. And that's not what it's meant to be. And so we got we to move from the Grafe to the, to the Logos, we got to go from the, the written word to the message, to the spoken word, and apply the rhema. It's one thing to know the word, it's another thing to speak the word. Right, you can know it. We're not here, we're not gathered this morning for information, we're here for transformation. Like, oh, just, just, just preach this, just, just give me some information. No, you can get information on Google. We're not here to Google, we're here, we're here to unpack what does the word of God say for us and how do we just not be hearers but how do we be doers of the word? Think about, uh, the, you go back in, in, into the Grafe and you look, and, and it's separated between Old Testament and New Testament. In the Old Testament, it starts with the book of Genesis, and it talks about creation. And as you read that, it says that the Spirit was hovering. So we know there's, the presence of the Lord is there, but the presence didn't move until God spoke. Think about it for a moment. In, the, in creation, nothing happened until God spoke it, and when he spoke it, it happened. It's not like humanity showed up or, or all the birds or the fish in the sea just showed up one day because it was their time. No, he spoke it and they listened. And so for us, we see that there's power in the word. He didn't just think it, he declared it. You think about Adam and Eve, the enemy comes at them to, to get them, cause them confusion with the word. Did God really say, Right? Did God really say, is that, is that what he actually meant? Is that what he actually said? And so there's confusion. And I believe the enemy is still working in our lives the same way today. He, the enemy loves when we say things like, I think. How many know I'm tracking? You're tracking with me this morning. I think, I think. In my opinion, right, in my opinion, uh, I was taught, this is what someone told me. Hey, all my friends believe, all my friends tell me. And so the enemy loves to hear those words when, we, when we're talking about self. And I think, in my opinion, the reason he loves it so much is because our thoughts, our words, have no power in the supernatural. That sword is dull, right? The, the, the sword of the spirit, and we're gonna see it's double-edged, right? It is, it is piercing. But that I, I statements, in my opinion, my thoughts, what I was taught, what my friends say, there is a problem when we are more interested in what Fox News or CNN has to say versus what the word of God has to say. We're like, "Oh, I don't know. This is what I watched on TV. It has to be true." No, 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 no. What is truth? And how do we know? And so we got to go to his word. Like I would rather have more followers on Twitter or X or whatever we want to call it than than be a follower of Jesus. See, that's when we have problems. That's when we have issues. And so for us, we have to be willing to seek the truth. Because here's, here's the thing that I know. When we have the rhema, this is why the enemy gets so scared. When we have the rhema, the spoken word, the utterance, he can't win. And he knows he can't win. And so we have to be careful to make sure that we are speaking and declaring the word of God. And sometimes I wonder if, if we continue to struggle with sin because we'd rather fight with man's wisdom than God's power. Well, this is, man, I went to Google. Google, I, I, I how many know you go to Google and you, you have symptoms for something? Trust me, I've been there. I've been having this crazy facial numbness for like two and a half weeks. And I'm like, hmm, what causes facial numbness? And I'm like, great, I'm dead in three months. That's all I know. Like, because we, we want to Google it and we want to we live in man's wisdom. But God isn't asking us to live in man's wisdom. He's asking us to live in his power and his authority. And so we have to be mindful of that. I, I, I truly believe that we are losing battles in the flesh because we'd rather fight with our hands than utilize his word. Right, if you haven't seen it, I feel like, I feel like we would rather be on the boat ramp in Montgomery, Alabama, beating people with chairs than fighting with his word. Because we, we feel like, hey, this is how we're gonna win this battle. Do you know the enemy knows the word? The enemy knows the word. In Matthew chapter four, verse six, he quotes Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. So he knows the word. So for us, it's like, oh, I have, I have, I have, the, I have this word. The enemy knows the word, but the enemy doesn't know how to utilize or apply the word. And so we have the benefit of saying, man, we have the grafe. We have, we have it. We have the logos because we're sitting here listening. But we want to have the rhema because we want to be able to speak it because it's so ingrained in us that it flows from us. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 2 through 11. That's what it says. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I don't know if you've ever caught this, but he was led there. So Jesus, and we're going to get to this, he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and and now all of a sudden he's being led by the enemy. And so you're seeing the confidence of when we have the sword of the spirit, his word, that we can utilize it and be on the offense instead of the defense. In verse 2, it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was hungry. The enemy often tries to meet us at the point of our problem. Did you see this? There is a problem. The problem is Jesus hasn't eaten anything for 40 days and 40 nights. So Jesus is hungry. How many know it's tough to have conversations when you're hungry? Anybody ever been there? All the married people. Right? Hey, I want to have this, I want to have this intense fellowship because we're not arguing. Feed me first. Right? Feed me first. Because it's like, oh, man, I'm hungry. And, it's the, ugh, and there's some. So now there is a problem. And do you ever notice what, what the enemy comes at Jesus first? Verse three, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The point of the problem he's hungry, and now the enemy shows up and says, Oh, you're hungry. Since you're hungry, you have the authority, Jesus. If if you are who you say you are, if you truly are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. And then Jesus answered, It is written. There is power when we declare his word. It is written, man should not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, we see in the New Testament, is is called the living word. If the living word had to use the written word, how much more should we? we? How would we compare ourselves to Jesus thinking that we're better than he is? So he knew the word, and not only did he know the word, he declared the word. It is written. Goes on to say that the devil took him to the holy city And had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written. Remember, this is the enemy. For it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands. So that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And then Jesus answered. And what does Jesus' answer with? It is written. It is written. So I will declare the word. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Goes on to say the the devil tempts him again. They go to this high mountain. Listen, here's what we got to do. Just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. After he declares, it is written three times. Verse 11 says, then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. My challenge to you would be this. The next time you say, I'm just struggling, the enemy keeps on attacking, would you reply with these words? It is written. It is written. If Jesus said it is written and the enemy flees, Right, because there's authority in his word, then we say it is written in our situation as well. So this morning, I wanna give you three quick insights into the word of God. Number one is this, the word of God is inspired. It's inspired. Verse 16 of Second Timothy chapter three, says, all scripture, all, not some, not parts, but all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to be equipped with the correct offensive weapon, right? We go back to the Old Testament. We read the story of David and Goliath, right? So Goliath, this, this, this monster, this giant, he's, he's, he's a Philistine, and he's, he's destroying all the children of Israel in these battles, and, and now David's like, no, I'm going to take him down. And so they're on the battlefield, and David's like, listen, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you, what, in the name of the Lord God Almighty, Right? He knew that there was authority in the name of the Lord God Almighty. A command is only as powerful as the person it comes from. Did you know that? A command is only as powerful as the person it comes from. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I used to have a big problem, <laughs> huge problem. I got six speeding tickets in two years because I had a lead foot. That's what happens when you're young and dumb right? I was young and dumb. Didn't know Jesus, had a lead foot, had, a, had a, a Ford Mustang 5.0, none of this other stuff, right? And then I traded it in for a, for a Trans Am, and all of this was bad news. Now understand, I got pulled over way more than six times. There was grace extended, but there were moments when I know what I deserved, and I love our law enforcement, but the law enforcement has authority, right? If you are doing 84 and a 65, <laughs> They have the authority to write you a ticket. That's after I slowed down, by the way. <laughs> when you're doing 43 in a 25, you deserve a ticket, right? And so what they were doing was using their authority because I was breaking the law. I, no one had ever taught me eight and skate, 9 your mind. No one taught me that, so you're welcome. I don't know if that's true or not. Don't apply it, just drive the speed limit, people, all right? And so here was the deal. They had the authority. So now, whenever I see a police officer, I'm like, oh, is my seatbelt buckled? Uh, Was I doing the speed limit? Do I have my driver's license? Where's my registration? Because there there is authority, and I knew their authority. But there was a group of people, remember, because I was young and dumb. I didn't know Jesus, I was not raised in church, so don't judge me. But the people that I didn't care about was the people who had no authority over me. So you ever get frustrated with the idiots who drive 100 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic, not using their turn signal? That was me. I'd be late to work driving on I-480 and (laughs) just like gone. I was weaving in out of people. There was no time for a turn signal. I'd just fly by and and people would get frustrated with me. You know how I knew they were frustrated with me? Because you could see like uh, hand gestures. They weren't saying hi. Yeah, one finger salutes was what I was getting. But I didn't care. I didn't care what they had to say. I didn't care when they would pull up next to me and start screaming at me. And I would be like, yeah, whatever. I don't care what you have to think. Because you have no authority. You can't do anything to me. And then I thought I would be funny in that in residential areas that I would just light them up. I mean, this z- is z- z- like all day. And, and here's what I didn't know then is that tires are really expensive. Because now there's, I'm like, no way, that costs money. Tires aren't free. Dad's not paying for my tires anymore. And so they, but but I didn't care because they had no authority. Remember, young and dumb. It's important. For us. And you're like, why would you share that embarrassing story? Well, it is embarrassing. But here's the deal. As believers, what is the word asking of us? Whose authority are we submitting to? This word right here, what authority does it have in our lives? The commands that are given in here Whose authority and by what authority are they given? The creator of the world, the beginning and the end, the one who gave his life so we could experience life, has all authority. When he speaks, creation listens. He didn't give us the 10 suggestions. He gave us the 10 commandments, which means what? If he says it, then we obey it. But we have to understand the authority by which it comes. This isn't just any normal, ordinary book. This is the word of God. It is inspired So when we get to it and we're like, hmm, I was reading. And God, can we just pause for a minute? God, can I have a conversation with you? Because God, I'm really struggling with something, Lord. And I'm not sure I like your tone in some of these verses. I'm not not sure I like that your word says that we're going to face trials. That in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. Couldn't we just erase that portion of in this world, you will have trouble. Can we just sharpie that out and only focus on, but take heart, you've overcome the world. Because I don't want to face any trials. God, when I read your word in the New Testament, Jesus, you speak a lot about money. And I would really prefer if you did not use that as an analogy. You know what it would be great if you spoke to me a little bit differently and don't use that because ah it's not something i really want to talk about so jesus if we could get rid of every time you talk about money jesus you talk about sacrifice i'm great with sacrifice when the scripture says that we must deny ourselves and follow him daily could it just be once a year how about we'll go with twice easter and christmas but that's not the authority that's not what we're looking at when we when we begin to pick up his word because all throughout creation when jesus or all throughout the word when jesus speaks creation listens right think imagine go back to the word and we see there's a raging storm the design, ah, and they're freaking out and it's crashing over the boat and what are we going to do and they go downstairs in the bottom of the boat and they're like jesus what are you doing there's a storm and we're going to die and what does jesus do he doesn't think to the storm he says to the storm, and he speaks to the storm, and creation listens, and the storm stops, and the word says, peace be still, right? He says, peace be still, and peace happens because of the authority that he has, the healing of, a, of the Roman centurion in the book of Matthew. So there's this Roman centurion who's like, listen, Jesus, my servant is sick. If you could just come, if you would just spend some time, if you, if you would show up, I know that my servant would be healed, And then he says, by faith, Jesus, if you just say the word, not think the word, not believe the word, but if you would say the word, I know it could happen. And what does Jesus do? As you said, speaks. Healing happens. In the the book of Matthew chapter four, this is Jesus calling his disciples. He says, listen, follow me, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men, right? Their occupation is fishermen. But he's like, I got something else where You got a bigger purpose, a bigger calling. And when you read the text, Jesus says, follow me. And the next verse says, immediately. Not they pondered, they thought, they dreamed, they prayed, they went and consulted with 37 other people. No, immediately they dropped their nets and they followed after Jesus. Why? Because when he speaks, creation listens. You see, it's the authority of the word. The authority of the word is the authority we can live in. That's what we can live in, his word, because it's his authority. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is the word of God is living and active. It's living and active. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Ooh, right? It sees where no one else can see. How do you know, the, the Bible is just as relevant for the original audience as it is today. Like, it's not like, oh man, this is, there's a lot of history in this. And yes, there's some wonderful history. It, it, it's a historical book for sure. Guinness World Records says that there's over 1,815 billion copies of this book sold. Historical, yes. In London today, the Codex sits. Some scholars believe it's 1,600 years old. It's, it's one of the most complete uh, and oldest manuscripts that we, we can see. So yes, there's historical data there, but it's living, it's active. One of the verses we love, always love to quote, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. What's it say? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plan to to prosper you, to bless you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and future. Right? The original audience would have been like, yes, yes. Because there is trials coming. There is temptation in our way we are being exiled into Babylon. And so when we face persecution and troubles, yes, I know that he has a plan for me. I know he doesn't want to harm me. And there's a hope and there is a future because right now it doesn't feel good. But what you could do is you could go, because it's just as relevant today, for I know the plans that I have for Phil declares the Lord. Plans to prosper Phil, not to harm Phil. Plans to give Phil hope and a future right here at Radiant Life Church. Come on somebody, right? But, but here's the deal. You, it's just as relevant for the original audience as it is for our ears today. So it is historical, but it's alive. It is active. The graphe you carried in today Maybe you left it in your car since last week. It's wonderful, but you got to move from Grafe to Logos, where you begin to dive in and you read, and then you put yourself what you're doing this morning in a position to listen. But if you want to have victory in the evil days, right when the enemy's all up in your space and it's a close battle, you're not going to jab them and be like boop 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 boop. I got you, right? What's the Grafe? You're not, gonna, you're not gonna come to him with the Logos and go, I've listened, enemy, I want you to know, this week alone on the Bible app, I've listened to 37 verses on my way to work. That's, that's not the tool you wanna go fighting with. You wanna have the rhema, the spoken word of God that is active, that is alive, that pierces. Hearing the word without application of the word will leave you in defeat. So we need to hear it, but we need to apply it so we can experience victory in our lives. You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. You don't bring the paper copy to defeat the enemy. You cannot win a spiritual battle with your physical strength. You need to fight with the right tool in your hand, the offensive weapon, the spirit. The word of God, which is the spirit of truth. We need to have that. The last insight that I wanna share with you is the word of God is truth. The word of God is truth. God brings life to dead things. God brings life to dead things. Let me show you how you apply that. Maybe you're here this morning, you're watching online, you're like, my marriage is not where it should be. We're struggling. Man, it's just, it's hard. I know we shouldn't talk about divorce, but man, it's on the table. If you just knew the frustration, well, what does the word say about Marriage. What does the word say about marriage? When we, when we look at the word and we know it's true, then what does it have to say about marriage? And then you're like, man, Ephesians chapter six. I wonder what God's word says about marriage in the book of Ephesians if we just flip back a little bit. Oh, it begins to talk about how, how a husband, and I'm not picking on men this morning. I'm just, I'm just saying, it, it, it talks about how a man should love their wife. The scripture tells us that, that we should love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. And you're like, yes, tomorrow, I'm gonna give my, I'm gonna give my life. And I'll never have to listen to her again because I will no longer be here. That's not what the word is saying. The word is saying, listen, I will sacrifice for my spouse. I will love my, my spouse with so much intentionality each and every day that I will be selfless and not selfish. So how do we love our spouse? How do, we, how do we have healing in relationships? What does the word have to say about relationships? What does the word have to say about loving our neighbor as ourself? How should we speak to people with kindness Am, am, I, am I In my life, am I wearing the fruits of the Spirit? Am I, am I treating the relationships I have with, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? Am I, am I possessing those things? And so what happens is we go to the word of truth because God brings life to dead things. Yes, we're inclusive. Yes, loving people when we disagree. But we cannot say, well, I turned to Matthew and I don't like what it says. So I don't believe it to be true. It's either true or it's not, right? It would be like having an argument with somebody and you said, hey, listen, I just want you to know, you can believe in gravity, I don't. I don't believe it's real. I don't believe, I don't believe it's what's holding us down. I, don't, I, I think there's something else. And so you believe it because you think it's true, but I'm not gonna believe it because I don't believe it's true jump out of an airplane without a parachute and tell me about the truth of gravity. How I many know you're going to find out the hard way that it is true? Well, that's the ar- We can't make that argument. Like, no, it's just true, and so I don't want to believe it. No, it is true. Psalm 1830, as for God, his way is perfect. The, Lord, the Lord's word is flawless. It shields all who take refuge in him. If it's flawless and it's true, then what do we do with it? give you three quick things we're going to pray god's word you pray god's word you get a journal you get note cards and we go back to it again what am i supposed to do well what does the word say about marriage and then you begin writing that out in a journal or on note cards and then every night you're like you know what i'm going to pray for blessing and favor children what am i supposed to do with these children god you gave them to me and we already talked about it last week that there's no refund or return policy and so they're mine and so what am i supposed to do with these kids I'm gonna train up a child in the way they should go. So God, I'm gonna pray that you give me the wisdom and the love and grace so that I can train. It is not the church's job to train. It is my job to train. And so I will personally train. And you begin praying that over your children. And so on your note cards and in your journal, you're like, man, what about my finances? I I wanna see victory in the area of my finances. And so what does God's word have to say about finances? I mean, we sang it this morning. It's his name. Jehovah Jireh, he is our provider. Like, oh, I go to the scripture and it says he owns a cattle on a thousand hill. What does that mean? It means there's always enough. He never runs out. It's not like our bank accounts where we use them and it goes and it keeps going down and down and down until we make a deposit. He's always, he's made more than enough deposits that there's always more than enough. So if you're like, yeah, but I saw him bless somebody else, so he couldn't bless me. And so I got to wait until their blessings fulfilled in order for me to walk in obedience to his word, to receive that blessing. No, he's always enough. And so we look at his word and you're like, God, you got this. And we begin praying his word. The second thing we do is we obey God's word. The word says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Pastor Angel and I are getting ready to celebrate uh, this month, 26 years of marriage. That's a long time to put up with me. Yeah, it's awesome. But here's, here's what I know. There isn't a demand or a command that was spoken that keeps us falling in love more and more each day. Now, some of you are like, those were your vows. First of all, I didn't write them, she did, okay? Second of all, I think I was set up, I was hoodwinked. Like she, I didn't even get to see it. And I was like, oh, everything I possess is yours. I didn't, what? I'm just kidding, I was in a full agreement. But here's the deal, it wasn't a command, it wasn't a demand that keeps us. You know what keeps us falling in love? Love. It's selflessness. It's, it's putting the interest of somebody else before yourself. It's desiring more from that person. It's, it's saying, man, I love you so much. I love you so much I want to honor you. I love you so much I want to respect you. I love you so much that I'm willing to sacrifice. And yes, I'll go back to the ocean again and sit in the sun. Sweet Lord, no. But then there's the Sacrifice. When it's freezing outside, I'll go sit in a cold stadium and watch the factory of sadness with you. But that's love. If you love me, you keep my commands. And so we obey God's word. And then lastly, we say God's word. And I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel, which is, that's what it is. It's not a name it, claim it, and blab it and grab it, okay? That's, no, that's not how it works. I'm talking about having so much of the word in you that it flows from you. I love what we're doing on Wednesday nights with, with, we call it JBQ. It's junior Bible quiz where the kids are memorizing scripture. Why is that so important? Because if we get the word in them, it will flow from them. And so maybe it's not not today, but four years from now, the kids are like, man, I don't understand what's happening. I didn't even know I remembered that verse, but I remembered in JBQ and we read this verse and it's so applicable today when I'm in my junior high or when I'm in my high school and I am saying his word over my friends. So we have to be willing to pray it, obey it, and say it. In closing, why is the sword of the spirit the only offensive weapon? the only one you have because it's the only one you need. You don't need any other weapon because it's more than enough. So I'm going to give you a challenge today. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to give you a challenge. Here's my challenge. We're going to post in the Radiant Life community group. If you're not a part of that, it's Facebook. So if you have a Facebook account and you're not a part of our community group, I would encourage you to go to the search feature and Google Radiant Life Church Community and inside that group it's just a group where we there's a couple hundred people in it 400 people something like that where we post things as a church that's meant for the church We're like hey would you do this hey we need help spread mulch hey worship night we you know we talk about things like that we're going to post later on tonight but here's the challenge that i have for you because we want to make sure we're taking the grafe, we're getting into it because it's the message of jesus the logos but then we want to make sure that we have the rhema the spoken word the utterance so here's what I'm going ask all of us to do tonight at dinner time. I want you to grab the word and I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through seven. Some of you already know what it says. You're like, oh, that's on our house. That was in our wedding. Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through seven tonight. And then once you've read it, I want you to ask one simple question and it's this. How can we love each other better? How can we love each other better? Because what we're gonna do is we're gonna be hearers of the word. We're gonna take We're going to take it, we're gonna open it, we're gonna listen to it, but then we're gonna apply it and then we're gonna speak it over our family and in our lives. Because we're gonna find out according to his word, not according to my wants, how we should love one another better. But here's what I'm gonna ask you to do with that challenge is when you're done on that post, I want you just to comment. Hey, we read it tonight at dinner. Hey, we read it before bed with the kids. Here's, here's what we said. Here's what we talked about. Because we want to grow together. We want to apply the word together. We're not just being hearers. We're going to be doers. So how can we love each other better? All over this place, would you just close your eyes with me? I want to pray over you. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. That we can, we can take seven weeks to walk through seven verses that we can hit pause, we can listen, we can be in tune. Lord, I'm so grateful that you have given us the tools and the resources, that, that armor that keeps us ready for battle. And Lord, as we've discussed this morning, I'm so grateful for your word, the sword of the spirit that is our offensive weapon, that we can declare over and over, it is written, it is written to defeat the lies and the attacks of the enemy. So Father, tonight I pray that as we jump into 1 Corinthians 13, that your word would be alive. It would be living. It would be active. Lord, that we would see it as truth. And because it's truth, we'd be obedient. So, God, help us. Help us to be vulnerable tonight around the living, around the living room, around the kitchen table, where we would say, God, I hear, how do you want me to love my family better? How do you want me to love you better? How do you want me to love my neighbor better? I want to be able to, to be who you've called me to be. And so, God, I'm, I'm going to take the grafe and I'm going to open it. I want the logos, the message to come alive. And God, over my family, I will declare and speak the utterance, the rhema of your word. Because God, I don't want to live in defeat. I want to experience your victory. Lord, help thank you and help us to always be battle ready. In Jesus' name, amen.